0: Good morning. I am Bill, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am the downtown campus pastor, and I must have drawn the short straw while we were selecting this part of the series because we're talking about intimacy. And when we were planning this series, we talked a lot about what topics people really need to hear God's perspective on. Uh, We talked a lot about what are the key topics of life? What do we all need to hear about? What are the topics that God's Word covers and gives instructions on. And one of those topics that we came across was the topic of human sexuality. Now, what's really interesting about this topic is not that the Bible has a lot to say about it, although it does, but more so that we, um, we already have a dominant voice in our lives that speaks on this subject all the time, day in and day out. The amount of information that our culture throws at us on a constant basis about the topic of sex is mind-blowing. TV shows, Netflix, magazines, the internet, you name it, our world is talking about it. And because of that, I would like to submit to you today the notion that there are all sorts of things that you and I may have begun to believe about sex and intimacy that is just not right. It's actually contrary to what God would say about it. You see, there is this stark contrast between what the world says about sex and what God says about sex in scripture. Without knowing it, you and I have maybe taken on many inherent misconceptions about the subject. We believe these things without even knowing it. In fact, did you know that as human beings, we're quite susceptible to misconceptions in general? not just about sex either, here are a few common misconceptions that people have. And I picked these because I had these misconceptions as well, okay? So the first one is this. The first misconception is that coffee is made from beans, okay? Have you heard this? Everyone believes that coffee is made from beans. Did you know that the coffee bean is not actually a bean? It's a seed, okay? So the thing we actually, like, roast and grind up in our coffee makers, that's not a bean. That's a seed, okay? We, it's a coffee seed that we actually call a bean. That's so confusing, I know. But that's a misconception that we all have, um, or many of us have. Uh, number two, this one got me as well. Um, different parts of your tongue detect different taste. Okay, like, I thought this was true. Like, I have this like really shadowy memory of like biology class where we talked about this. And I was like, no, that's right. Well, it's been scientifically disproven by research, which found that all taste sensations come from all regions of the tongue. In other words, your taste buds can taste all sorts of different things, no matter where it is on your tongue, but different parts of your mouth are more sensitive to different flavors than other parts which I thought was really interesting as well. So that's probably where that comes from. But your taste buds can taste everything. So that's another misconception. The last one is this. There is a dark side of the moon. It's a misconception that people have. And it's this image that a lot of people think that there's one side of the moon that's always completely dark. Well, that's not true because the moon rotates on its axis. And so there's no one part of the moon that stays completely unlit forever okay it actually rotates in the sky which i thought was interesting okay so by a show of hands how many of you held one of those misconceptions right the rest of you are liars okay (laughs) just kidding probably some of you knew that maybe you could be on jeopardy or something but the point is is that we often absorb incorrect information from the culture around us without even knowing it and our brains just end up incorporating this into our wealth of knowledge It's sort of how we're wired, and it's why the community and the culture you are involved in actually matters. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We actually take on the ideas and the common truth of the culture that we're most immersed in. And so today, as we talk about human sexuality, we're going to look first at some cultural misconceptions about sex. And these misconceptions are going to include even ones from within the church community. Ones that the church has begun, or over time, has kind of purported out there. And then, after we look at those misconceptions, we're going to go back through, and we're going to discover what God's word would say about those things. But before we jump into misconceptions, I have to establish one thing this morning. And it's this, that despite being a pastor, um, and being in the Christian bubble, if you will, I realize that sex, as a topic in our modern context and really throughout history, happens in all sorts of different contexts, right? Like, I understand that it's out there, and it's happening in all sorts of different ways. I realize there's varying attitudes and even views within the church of what is right and acceptable. I do acknowledge that. I know that. I know that in the back of my mind. But I have to establish with you that throughout the teaching of Scripture over and over again— we find one really key truth that we have to start out with this morning. And it's that sex is intended for a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And we'll get into why of this a little bit as we talk about this, but I'm not going to spend the whole time working to justify that position. Because remember, we're in a relationship series. We're not in a theology of sex series, okay? So very simply, as we look at sex today, it's going to be with the understanding that while sex is used widely and freely in our culture in all sorts of different ways, it was originally intended for marriage between a man and woman. And we'll actually see that come through this morning. So now that we got that out of the way, let's discuss these five misconceptions about sex and then we'll go back and we'll state the truth that we find in God's word. So the first one is this misconception one is that marriage is about sex marriage is about sex now there's really two different sides to this idea first is the christian side of things in the christian world many of us grow up um, with two different ideas in our head first that god has intended sex for marriage which is true and that sex is the greatest thing in the world that you can experience and this is why there's this cake that Christians love to whisper about. It's called better than sex cake. Better than sex cake. Have you heard of that cake before, right? Like, oh, we don't want to make that cake and we'll change the name of it when we're at a party. Like, if you brought it to the church potluck, you would not say that that's the name of the cake, Right. And uh, we kind of giggle about that and everything, but we have this culture idea that sex is the be-all, end-all of life. And so often, young Christians can easily fall into this trap of believing that marriage is really only about sex. Which is why, when that aspect of a marriage gets difficult, there seems to be a lot of problems. And so we believe that, and this doesn't only happen to young Christian couples, though. The world actually tells us a similar story about sex. Uh, The world might say that a married couple's sex life is the most important thing about their relationship In fact, the world would say that this is why having sex before marriage is so important You have to find out that if you are sexually compatible because if the marriage relationship is about sex Then you have to find the right partner And so either way, there's a misconception in our culture that marriage is really only about sex now we'll circle back to this in a minute, but let's talk about a few more misconceptions. First, misconception number 2 is that sex is dirty, wrong, or a necessary evil. Unfortunately, this misconception this misconception has been propagated by the church and by religious communities both subtly and overtly. In times past and still today, many churches preach only on the evils of sex outside of God's design. And the only time sex is talked about is in a negative way. And so people often conclude that the church, or that God himself, must be against sex in general. Another side of the coin would be that sex is a necessary evil. It's the idea that sex is necessary for bearing children, but it really shouldn't be enjoyed or celebrated. Which is actually kind of insane when you think about it, Because it's kind of like saying go ahead and try to make lots of kids because that's God's design But by no means should you enjoy the process of getting there Because God wouldn't want that. That's a weird idea. That's a misconception that we kind of hold Lastly, I bet many of you experienced this growing up Maybe it wasn't common in your household that sex was necessarily a bad thing But maybe you grew up in a household where it just wasn't talked about at all You know, I know so many people my age whose parents never said a word about sex to their kids. They never even talked about it. The way they found out about it was health class and the locker room, right? And so a lot of times we don't even talk about it. And the silence of that speaks really loudly, that it's not something we should be talking about. All right, let's look at misconception number three. Misconception number three is this, that sex is really about my own personal fulfillment and self-realization. This is probably the biggest one in our culture right now. Now, you may have identified with the previous misconceptions and maybe even experienced some of these attitudes, but this one by far is the most pervasive in our culture right now. And this idea is one that says sex is really about me, and it's about me getting to express my true self, and it's the fulfillment of my life. You see, if my life is all about me and finding the best version of myself it's, if it 's all about finding happiness and meaning in my life, then sex for me is a means to that end in fact, it means it means sex means being me and finding fulfillment in my life it 's the idea that I am my sexuality that 's my identity is my sexuality, and some of our culture would even say that this is the most important thing about me. The most important thing about me is. My sexuality and nothing should stand in the way of expressing that that's one way that our culture views sex Misconception number four intimacy is only about sex Intimacy is only about sex There are two sets of people that really fall into this trap First couples recently married or about to be married believe that feeling close to one another is synonymous with sex It's the only way we can be intimate. In other words, the only real way to ultimately express your love for another person is to be physically intimate. And the truth of that is that intimacy is a lot bigger than that. And actually, using sex outside its intended design um, is not going to get you closer to that intimacy. The second set of people who might believe this misconception, though, is married men. Married men sometimes forget that intimacy is more than just sex. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But number five, this is the last misconception. It's that sex is only about performance and pleasure, performance and pleasure. This one is a really big one in our culture as well. It says that um, sex is really all about how great of a lover you are. If you're not at the top of your game, if you don't have everything figured out, if you don't perform perfectly every time, if everything's not perfect, then you're a big failure. In other words, this view focuses on sex as only being about whether you're great at it or not. All those are some common misconceptions about about sex, and let's talk about a biblical response to each one of those. As we go through each one of these, though there's one big idea that you need to grasp, and it's the most important thing that you're going to need to know about sex as we talk about this. It's that the biblical view of sex within marriage is that it's all about relationship, that God actually designed sex to be all about relationship. Yes, you could argue that it's about procreation as well, but biblical idea is that marriage is really a relationship between you and your spouse and sex is intended to be about that relationship and so let's talk about these misconceptions and talk about what God's word would say about these things first one is this if you remember I said sex is about or marriage is only about sex but marriage is not just about sex but sex is a vital part of the marriage relationship did you know that sex is, very, is mentioned really early on in Scripture? It's mentioned really early on. A lot of people don't catch it. But in Genesis 2.24, it says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That is talking about two people who have been married who are coming together both physically and spiritually into one Flesh. It's talking about sex and sex is actually a physical representation of what happens when a man and a woman enter into a marriage They are no longer two, but they become one And in fact the word united in this passage means to make a binding covenant or a contract When you get married you before god You are basically agreeing through your marriage covenant to merge into a single legal social and economic unit Uh, Timothy Keller says this, marriage is a union between two people so profound that they virtually become a new single person. That's why, have you ever thought about this? That's why in states like Wisconsin, we have this law that all of your property is actually your spouse's property as well. Did you know that? That all of your property is your spouse's property as well. Like even if you open a bank account, right? You, in order to have a joint bank account, If you're married, you both go in and you both submit your things, and it's all both belonging to you. And, And that's why we have joint ownership is because of this idea. In marriage, we're giving up much of our independence in order to donate ourselves wholly to the other person. And so sex in marriage then is actually a sign and a consummation and a renewal of that contract that you enter into when you're married. Let me say that again. It's a sign. It's a consummation and it's a renewal of the covenant that you made with Your spouse when you married them in the old testament There was these things that were called covenant renewal ceremonies and we see them throughout scripture When god entered into a covenant relationship with his people He directed periodically that there be an opportunity for them to remember the terms of the covenant By first reading it together and then recommitting themselves to it Think about this. If you read the the first part of the old testament You find this happening over and over and over and over again And it's like is the bible repeating itself really this much But the people of god entered into a contract with god and then they needed points throughout their history In which they had to remember this contract that they made with him This was crucial if the people were going to sustain a life of faithfulness Can I tell you something? It's the same in the marriage covenant When you get married, you make a solemn covenant with your spouse, and the the Bible actually calls your spouse your covenant partner. You can find that in Proverbs 2.17. And for most people, the day of your marriage is is a great day, right? Like, you're excited about this new covenant between you and your partner, you're excited to sign that document, but as time goes on, in your marriage, there's a need to rekindle the heart and renew the covenant. There must be an opportunity within your marriage to recall all that other person means to you and to give yourself anew to them, to make your commitment new. And that's what sex is supposed to do in marriage. Sex between a husband and his wife is intended to be a covenant renewal ceremony. Married men, I just want to say to you, now that you know that, this could be a really good way to initiate things later. You just say to your spouse, "Um, can we do the covenant renewal ceremony later? Like... It's like a little coy, you know. Or you could use it as an excuse for something. Like if somebody says to you, "Like, do you want to be part of this social engagement?" You could be like, "No, I got this covenant renewal thing later. It's just not going to work, right?" It sounds important, so people would just be like, "What?" But to put it simply, sex is really meant as a regular way to remember and confirm that you are no longer just individuals, but you are together as one flesh, and that's why a marriage completely devoid of sex for a long time should be a red flag as to the health of the relationship you are not remembering your covenant you're not renewing your covenant over and over and it's also why sex should be a priority in marriage because it's needed and it's important to remember let's take a look at the second one this is the idea that sex is dirty wrong or a necessary evil and it's not sex in marriage is good you know the Bible actually talks about sex a lot. Unfortunately, well-meaning faith leaders often fo- focus only on the passage relating to sex that it's outside of God's intended design. And, and when you do that, you miss the understanding that sex is actually a really good thing. And we already talked about this Genesis 2 passage about a man leaving his parents and being united to his wife. But we have other examples about the goodness and the importance of sex. The Torah, for instance, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah means law, okay? And so it's God's law to his people that he's given them. And in those books of the law, we find that it requires that a husband fulfill his wife's need for intimacy. Exodus 21.10 lists marital, marital intimacy as one of the three basic things that a husband must provide to his wife. You know how essential this is in the Old Testament? is that the other two things that a husband must provide for his wife is food and clothing food and clothing this is how important god says that sex is part of the marriage relationship and then the talmud which is a set of teachings and commentaries which expound on the torah go into great detail about sex within marriage to the point that it even provides a detailed schedule for men's sexual responsibilities to his wife organized by profession is this interesting like In other words, based on what kind of work you have, you have different requirements about how often you need to be intimate with your spouse. And and they did that because in that time period, you might be a sailor and you were gone for a long time. And, And sometimes when men just get involved in their work, they forget that there's other important things in their life. And so the Torah is saying, this is how important it is. You need to make sure that you're building intimacy into your relationship with your spouse. Some other parts of scripture that talk about sex... In a good way, even get a little graphic. I'm hoping this is not too graphic, but Proverbs 5 18 and 19 says this Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer and do- a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. It's celebrating marital intimacy within this passage. Or another good example is the whole book of the Song of Psalms or Song of Solomon book in the Old Testament. This book does a lot of unrestrained rejoicing in the delights of sexual love in marriage. In fact, translators at times and commentators cannot bring themselves to always bring out the whole meaning of some of the phrases because of how explicit it gets. You can actually find footnotes in certain commentaries that say the meaning of the Hebrew here is uncertain right? And as you talk to commentators later who look back at that, they say the meaning of the Hebrew is not uncertain, it's uncomfortable, right? Because of what it's talking about, and I just imagine these scholars who are translating this text being like, I can't write that. Okay, it's uncertain, I just don't know, right? But Song of Solomon goes into some pretty graphic detail, poetically talking about and downright celebrating sexual love between a husband and wife. And so the point is this, Far be it that God does not love the idea of sex; He created it. Instead, God loves and celebrates the idea of sexual love within marriage as a good thing. It's actually a, a picture. It's a picture of what of a man and wife coming together. It's a picture of the union between Christ the Bride and His Church. And we could talk about more about that later. But it's it's uh, that's another sermon. So number three, sex is about our own personal fulfillment. Self-realization and pleasure. That was one of the things that the misconceptions were, and it's not about that. Sex is always a uniting act. We have definitely been sold a bill of goods when it comes to this part of it, because our culture's ideas about casual sex, our culture's idea is that you can just go out and you can have sex, and, and by doing so, you'll find some sort of fulfillment of who you are, and you'll find a way to express yourself. But scripture is adamantly against this. And there's this great passage that provides a ton of clarity about the subject. It's in First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. This is what it says. Paul is instructing the Corinthian church, and he says, Do you know that a person who is united in intimacy with a prostitute is one body with her? For as it is said, the two shall become one flesh. Keep away from all sexual immorality, for you do not belong to yourselves. You were bought with a price. Show forth God's glory, then, in how you live your bodily life. Now, in this passage, Paul is really talking about Christians being forbidden from having sex with a prostitute. right? And this was the reason why he's writing this is because the church is struggling with this at the time. And it's a common practice in Corinth. But what's interesting about this passage, though, is the reasoning to as why. Why does Paul tell the Corinthian church that they should not be doing this? Paul is actually arguing here that every sexual act joins us physically and spiritually to one flesh, to becoming one flesh. Do you not know that a person who is united in intimacy with a prostitute is one body with her? For as it's said, the two shall become one flesh. The biblical view is that every time that you engage in sex, you are actually physically and spiritually uniting yourself to that person. In other words, there's no such thing as casual sex, because every time significantly unites the two together. And this is why sex outside of marriage is so damaging and actually achieves the opposite of fulfillment and satisfaction. C.S. Lewis talked about this. He, he, he likens sex without marriage to tasting food without swallowing and digesting. Imagine going to your favorite restaurant and you order your favorite meal and you get to take as many bites as you want, but you're not allowed to swallow it. Imagine what that would be like. Would you get some pleasure out of tasting the food? Sure, yeah, you would get some pleasure about it. But ultimately, that would be a really unsatisfying experience. And this is what sex outside of marriage is like. There is some momentary pleasure. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and stand up here and say it's all bad, right? There is some momentary pleasure in that, but it leaves you ultimately unfulfilled. It leaves you ultimately unfulfilled. And the last note, before we get to number four, is that many engaged or about-to-be-engaged couples agree with this idea in the church, like I just mentioned, but because they're committed to one another, they still think that physical intimacy before marriage is okay, They believe they're uniting themselves with their future spouse or sometimes people say that they're already married in their heart I get this a lot as a pastor doing premarital counseling A lot of times there's a lot of justification when it comes to this and can I just tell you on this point? I totally understand this. I totally understand this. We just did the class the marriage class I don't know if you saw it for prospective married people getting married and when they went through that class, they said, you know, this is not really God's design for sex. And a lot of people just didn't know. A lot of people didn't realize that, or they didn't really know it was that big of a deal. And so they said, well, we're going to have to change our living arrangements, So we're going to have to adjust things before we're married. And, and so I totally understand this, and I remember this temptation when I was engaged. I get it. I've made the commitment already in my heart to my spouse. And, and so I think that it should be okay to do this, right? And that's the thinking. But two things about this are wrong, okay? Or two things are not really thinking about it the right way. First, it's that the Bible clearly rejects this idea in many passages. That sex outside of marriage is not God's intended design. And so that's not biblical thinking that you're doing. It's justification that you're doing. And number two, I would also say that this is not wise. And it's that attitude is like spending your paycheck weeks before you actually get it. And if you know anything about money, that's just not a good idea, right? It's not a good idea, and so it just isn't smart. And I've known many rock-solid engagements, many rock-solid engagements, who they were going completely towards marriage, and they were being intimate with each other, and then it fell apart in the end. And so they united themselves with somebody and, and did the covenant ceremony that way, and yet they weren't actually married, and then they ended up marrying somebody else. And, and so I just want you to think about that and, and to let God speak to you in that way. Let's look at number four. Marriage or intimacy is not only about sex. Intimacy is all-encompassing, and it c- includes sex within a marriage relationship. Now, I put this point in here because it's more practical than anything. We're, t- we're in a relationship series, and so this talks about the relationship between men and women within marriage. And so I just want to give you some practical advice on this side. Men, in general, make love to feel loved, okay? Men, in general, make love to feel loved, whereas women need to feel loved in order to want to make love, okay? Men make love to feel loved, whereas women need to feel loved in order to want to make love. I think every couple has had a conversation like this. The husband will say, you know, I just don't feel close to you if we're not physically intimate. And so it's hard for me to do all these romantic things you like and to be emotionally present because we haven't been physically intimate with each other. And then women will say, well, I don't want to be physically intimate with you unless you do those romantic things and make me feel loved. It's almost like God intentionally designed and created men and women differently in order to have a give and take relationship within marriage. And so let me just give you some pastoral wisdom here. And it's this. That men, listen, if it's a good idea that even if you're not feeling like it, that you still work to pursue and emotionally connect with your wives, and here's why, because your efforts in this area might lead to more opportunities for you to be physically intimate with your spouse. Ladies, it's a good idea that even if you 're not feeling like it, that you work to physically connect with your husband. Your efforts in this area may lead to more opportunities for emotional intimacy. It's not about demanding, it's about serving your spouse. We'll talk about that more in a second. Let's look at this last misconception. It's that sex is about performance and pleasure. Sex is not about performance and pleasure, but sex is about building and maintaining the marriage relationship. Think about what we've said so far about sex. This is the biblical truths that sex is a covenant renewal process. That sex is good when it's celebrated within marriage. That sex is always a uniting act. And that intimacy isn't just sex, but includes it. If you put all of that together, you realize that God has primarily given us sex within marriage to build and maintain our marriage relationship. Because of this, the Apostle Paul goes even further to, in, to give these instructions in 1 Corinthians 3 through, 7, 3-5. Listen to what Paul says. This is a a pretty direct teaching to Christians. The, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Paul's actually teaching here that each partner, male and female, has the right to mutual sexual relations in a marriage. And that's how important and vital sex is to the marriage relationship. Paul is telling married Christians that mutual, satisfying sexual relations must be an important part of their life together. In fact, this passage even indicates that sex should be frequent. Don't be... Don't stop being intimate unless you agree on it and only do that for a time of prayer That's not a lot of excuses to stop being intimate with your spouse So sex is not about performance and pleasure. It's about building and maintaining your relationship And as part of that both husbands and wives should be looking to mutually and intimately serve one another on a regular basis Now, it's easy for us to all think about how that benefits me, especially as a guy. Oh, my wife's obligated to me, right? According to the Bible, my wife is obligated to me sexually. But if you zoom out and you consider what this means for both partners as a responsibility, the picture gets bigger. It's not about thinking about what you can get out of it, but what you're obligated to. We shouldn't be using this passage as a weapon to pressure our spouse into intimacy. But according to this passage, each partner in the marriage is to be concerned not with what they're getting sexually, but what they're giving. Serving your spouse. In this area of Christian life, just like others, it's not about what's good for me. It's about what's good for us. It's about what's good for, for my spouse. We should be serving one another in our physical intimacy because we are one flesh. So I hope that dispels some of these misconceptions that our culture has about sexual things. In closing, I want to just say two things. The first one is this. We talked about this weeks ahead of time to not have your kids in here or to maybe think about not having your kids in here. And I just want to say that's not because kids don't need to hear about this, because they actually do. Parents, you should be talking to your kids about sex, including how God designed it for good, but also just what it is. As As a youth pastor, I regularly had high schoolers who were graduating from high school, who were oblivious to this entire discussion, which might be fine if you keep them at home with no entertainment, no TV, no internet in the back corner of Amish country, but as soon as you enter the world, it's going to be a problem. Have you watched the news lately? Have you turned on your TV? Have you watched a Netflix show? Have you done anything in this world lately? It is overtly sexual, all of it. And so we need to be educating our kids about sexuality. We need to be telling them that it's God's design for sex, that it's a good thing, that it happens within the context of marriage. And there's this amazing series that we are using in our house called God's Design for Sex. I brought it up. I'll put it in the front of the stage for after the service if you want to take a look at it. But this book um, has different books. There's like four different books in this series. And this one, the first one is for ages three to five. And so you begin talking already, age-appropriate, where babies come from. And so when your kid asks that question, you can refer to this book, and it can help you. It can be an awesome tool. Our kids have really enjoyed this, and it's really age-appropriate. So if you want to take a look at it, this morning you can, and you can order these on Amazon. Really good resource. But you need to be educating your kids about what sex is. And the last thing, I just want to leave you with this. As with many things, when it comes to sex... We often think that God is the cosmic killjoy, right? That he actu- what he actually wants is for us to be um, just pushed down by our thumb, right? By his thumb. And God doesn't want anything good for you, okay? And that's kind of what our culture says. It's a misconception that's out there. But can I tell you that God ultimately wants what's best for you? He doesn't want what you think is best for you right in the moment, What you think is going to get you the most pleasure, God wants what's ultimately best for you. And that's why he created sex, and he placed it in the proper context of marriage. Because in marriage, sex is way more than a momentary physical pleasure. It's the uniting of two people into one. It's a covenant renewal ceremony, and it's also our means by which we fulfill our our mandate by God to be fruitful and multiply. The truth is, is that there's great blessing in sex in the right context. It can be something that's really helpful in your life, to live the fulfilled life that God has called you to live. In fact, in marriage, sex is so important that you'll see that even if you look at secular studies, that the people who are most satisfied in their life with their sex life are people who are in a long-term committed marriage relationship. Because that's where it's intended to be and that's where god wants to use it to help you live that abundant life That he's calling you to live and so The truth is there is great blessing in sex In its right context and it's time for us as the church to confirm that and to celebrate it sex is good sex is good And god designed it for to be inside of a marriage relationship for the health and the benefit of you and your spouse Let's pray Lord, there's a lot of information here, and there's a lot of sensitivity towards this subject. And so, Lord, I pray that we, you would help just expose the ways we think about sex that are incorrect. Maybe there was something this morning that tugged at our heart, and we thought, oh, I did think about that incorrectly. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to start seeing it as you see it, as a blessing, as something you've given us inside the marriage relationship to be a good thing, and to bring health and life to a marriage. Lord, I pray that we would take seriously our responsibility to our spouse. Lord, that we would think about how we can serve them and love them well in this area of our life as well as others. Help us not to be demanding or to be rude or to be mean or to be forced, but help us to serve one another in love in this area as well. We pray this in Jesus' name.